to court or something, eh? I'm gonna pull my britches up and get ready for this show. Well, I'm so glad I started recording when I did because I caught that little gem. Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the very first premiere episode of the Reptile Room podcast with your host, Riley Jemison, myself, and Andy Rea, my co-host, Andy. Andy is of the uh, Latino persuasion and Yo Soy Gringo. And uh, <laughs> and I still um, like him. Yeah, he puts up with me, even though uh, I'm, a, I'm a terrible person sometimes. But we are going to leave out the terrible side of this. And this podcast is going to be uh, like 90% reptiles and 10% tangents that might get terrible, but hopefully not too terrible. well we'll see about that (laughs) yeah yeah we're gonna try and keep this um semi-educational informational entertaining and something that uh people can get something out of and before i start rambling on i think uh no you're doing good keep going i think i think you i think you should introduce yourself um i've said enough to start you know we can get to me later but um you know i i've put myself out there a little bit and I think this is going to be an exercise in you putting yourself out there. So why don't we, why don't we introduce the world a little more formally and a little more forwardly to, uh, to Andy Rea himself. All right, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. This is Andy Ray and I am, um, the owner of Andy Ray reptiles and I've been doing reptiles for quite a while, uh, in and out of it pretty much most of my life as a kid and jumped on this reluctantly jumped on this opportunity to, to join Riley and, do this podcast i think since i've known riley we pretty much hit it off right off the bat as friends and just having this opportunity to just chat and geek out about reptiles is going to be such a great thing so i mean for me my history goes all the way back to basically around nine ten years old and the first chance i had at owning a snake wasn't until after my my parents separated my mom was just deathly afraid and that's a cultural thing in the mexican families is that you know snakes are evil we're looking at, at the Bible and it's like, oh no, you know, this is the evil, evil snake. So there was no chance in hell that I was going to be getting a snake when, you know, I was living at my mom's house. So, but I'd be herping as a kid, man, about a five minute walk away from my house growing up, there was this place called Cardboard Hill in Salinas in California. And anybody out there from Salinas that knows Cardboard Hill, seriously, give me a shout out. That That would be amazing if somebody knows where that's at. But I used to herp that entire area before it was this massive development and housing project and and there was this amazing little creek in there so everything from you know your fence lizards to cow kings to go for snakes and garter snakes man I would be collecting like a madman and because I knew I couldn't have them in the house I weaseled my way into having a herp collection in my backyard because I would collect and then (laughs) And then I'd bring them into my zoo, which was my backyard. We're talking like like seven years old, eight years old. I totally nice. thought that, that snakes would – I'm like, oh, well, I've got a fence in my backyard, which means, of course, all the lizards and the and the snakes are going to stay there. So, yeah, that didn't happen. But in, in any case, we never had any, any mice uh, in our backyard and uh, very few insects because all of my collected herps were enjoying their stay um, – <laughs> yeah needless to say my mom found a few snakes in the backyard growing up but uh but anyway but she so couldn't that, blame like, she couldn't blame you for those other in the backyard oh no absolutely not no way <laughs> uh, 
yet. But so my first snake actually that I was able to keep, I still, man, to this day, it, it bugs me that I don't remember the exact species. And at the time I got it from this like local pet shop that man, looking back, they, there's no way that they would even be in business nowadays, but it was basically like a puppy mill like inside of inside of the local shopping mall and they had reptiles and everything else that you can think of and at the time it was sold to me as a yellow-headed garter snake and i was like yeah i'm I'm gonna take this home this is awesome this is my first snake and like within like probably the first couple of months it ended up escaping and got out and my uh my dad kind of freaked out because he was like well this sucks you know we just got this thing and it's already out in the house somewhere whoopsies Uh, yeah yeah that actually was was not good Uh, so here's the first thing i did not mute my phone before we started recording rookie (laughs) rookie (laughs) Um, as long as you hose yourself first yeah yeah for sure and like it's funny because i was uh i was reading up on on like okay like you know how do you prepare for a podcast and blah 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 and yeah that was one of the things like make sure you mute your phones and mute your computers and yeah well failed that one um so anyway (laughs) yeah so uh so got started then and at that point there was this shop in salinas called pet emporium over by the old kmart Mm -hmm. and man my dad used to live close to there and i we just uh I mean, I, I like lived there. I swear, like pretty much every time I was with my with my dad, I, we would end up going over there to check out fish, check out whatever he had. This guy Larry, uh, funny enough, Larry, he's just an old school animal keeper. He has a new shop now called Ultimate Aquarium over in Monterey. But oh, cool. uh, yeah, it's so cool, man, to to still have that guy around. But I got my first ball python uh, from him. And it was just a normal and it's still to this day normals for me is what is what captures my heart when it comes to ball pythons. But yeah, I had him for for years and I got the bug at that point and we started hitting up reptile shows, got started with rosy boas at that point. And then it, it then it really like just the reptile scene at that time. I mean, it was there was no forums. There was there was no, you know, social media or anything like that. And it was like seeing stuff from Crutchfield's mailing list, seeing the reptile magazines and other hurt magazines where I would sign up for these mailing lists and try to connect with as many local people as I could, which weren't many. And so what's left to do? Go to the hurt shows, you know, go to the reptile shows. And at that point is where I started meeting some people like Randy Wright. Um, you know, he, he uh, was a legend. Yeah, man. Um, you know, just being able to, to, get into his brain about rosy boas and king snakes and etc and i looking back i've always been a kind of a recluse in terms of i mean even now like it's this is tough for me to even kind of put myself out there right now but i regret not connecting more with randy because i mean randy remembers everything you, you talk to that guy i mean he'll remember a herping trip that he did 30 years ago and details about oh this rock over here and i found this rosy over here and um you know, I never had a brain like that, but he remembered me. I, I'd go to shows and he'd be like, oh, hey, what's going on? And and we start talking about Rosie Bowes. And he's like, yeah, I remember the first time you bought your Rosie in, at the San Jose Reptile Show. And I was like, what the heck? You know, this, <laughs> I was like, how do you remember? I don't even remember the locality I bought at the time. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, and that's for me where it kind of started. The 
I, I want to say that addiction, that reptile addiction, because for me, it's kind of like, you know, it's been a part of my life since I was a kid. And one way or another, I've had a snake or I've had a reptile in my care for God, man, almost 30 years now. So, and at that point, it, it just led into keeping berms. Uh, I had a pair of berms for a long time. And then I, I became a, a stupid teenager and wasn't taking care of them the way I should have. And my dad, you know, gave me ultimatums and, and flat out said, you know, like, look, you know, these are your animals and you need to take care of them. If you're not going to take care of them, then you're not going to have them one day. And that's exactly what happened. He ended up selling them uh, to another keeper that was going to take care of them. They were beautiful too. So and I, I, lost, I lost most of my collection at that time. And I was just partying and being an idiot and grew out of that phase. Still had, you know, one or two animals after that, but went on with life. And it, and it really wasn't, again, just to speed things along until I met who is now my wife, Elizabeth, being able to have that support to, you know, we were just boyfriend, girlfriend for a long time. And, but she was still like, that was kind of one of the prerequisites to be completely honest with you. And then anytime I would date anybody that was like, okay, I really like this girl. And I was really serious about her. One of the first questions that come out be like, Hey, so how do you like snakes? You know? And if they said ew or had any kind of a negative reaction, that pretty much sealed the deal. And we weren't going to be going out anymore after that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, dude, I'm being serious too. So, so she was like, Oh my God, I love snakes. And she's like, Oh, my neighbor used to have a red tail. And I'm like, dang it. I'm so young. You're not supposed to like reptiles. This is supposed to, I'm like, now you're like, you're locking me in here, woman. Dang it. So, so yeah. So from there, you know, she was all about it, man. She was so supportive right from the get go. And even to this day now, you know, 20 years later together and, and she's still, I mean, she's like, you know, Hey, I'm looking about getting a snake and this or that. And yeah, she's the biggest animals we have in our collection belong to her, you know? So right. Olivia, our Savannah, uh, Lola, the Dumeril's boas. I mean, those are her babies. So it's kind of funny, you know, that all those years have come through to the point where I have somebody that, that basically, you know, she's not going to nag me or tell me anything that I can or can't get. She doesn't, she's like, well, I can have my animals. You can have whatever you want. If it makes you happy, then go for it. And, um, so yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a long winded introduction. I don't know if that's enough. Am I, am I following? Yeah. Am I doing good? Stuff? No, that's good. I didn't realize you had that history with Rosie Boas because of that. I knew you yeah. were super stoked on Rosies, obviously, for many reasons. They're pretty freaking sweet. And, you know, you can really go down a rabbit hole with the locality twist on something like that. Um, not to mention they're small, so you can keep lots of them easily. Yeah, and I've got, you know what's funny, man, is I, I feel bad because I haven't, I haven't taken many pictures and, and posted. You know me. I go through my, like, cycles of social media where... I'll be in some of these groups or chit chat with, with certain folks or whatever. Instagram, I tend to be more active on Instagram and post pictures because it's just a little, it's just less, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's less personal. It uh, is less personal because you're not showing off yourself. You're just showing a photo and you can choose to put a caption or not. And right, right. You can choose to reveal or be as much of yourself digitally as you want. I mean, it's definitely less personal. And I think people in turn take things less personal. So you see less drama. So more people are more inclined to be on that platform. Yes. Everything you just said, yes. I agree. Because, I mean, for me, when I'm posting pictures, it's like a lot of times I'll get stuck with posting what's either the newest part of the collection or the newest project coming up. And I don't, I don't go back often enough to show off some of the roses, man. Some of my holdbacks that are, 
that are just freaking screaming right now. And, and I've got holdbacks that are going to be breeding for me uh, this upcoming season. I'm, I'm pretty excited, actually, that a male, Parkahala Mountain Rosy Boa, that his dad sadly passed. And I only got one litter from that, from that father, from that sire. And there were some incredible bloodlines in there. And I'm so stoked that he's finally big enough to to breathe and so he's my he's my harkahala stud and I, I i definitely need to do a better job of, of showing off my rosies and my in my rosy collection they're they're definitely close to my heart they're always going to be in my collection no matter what i'm pretty sure moving forward i mean there's so many localities that i don't i've not had the chance to either one see in person or even you know have in my collection that i still want that are important to me just from also the perspective of looking at other guys that I really admire. I mean, there's so many other rosy keepers out there that uh, have done such an incredible job of just maintaining the integrity of these, of these localities. And that's important. I'm sure we're going to be touching on, on, a, on an episode of localities in the future. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, dude, for sure. I mean, we got to. So, yeah, um, definitely. But, I mean, yeah. So, so rosies are, I go way back with Rosie's. I've had Rosie since I was, uh, I think my first Rosie, I was 11 and nice. I'm 40. I'm 40 now. So don't tell uh, people that I'm, I'm 40, um, on paper, but I look like I'm 20. Yeah. No. Right. Don't tell people that either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely do not look like I'm 20. <laughs> And the podcast died. <laughs> and, that was, uh, and it's yeah. gone. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> Rosies are cool, man. They're uh, an underestimated sort of group of snakes that's quickly, easily, and often overlooked and forgotten. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're neat. They they don't get big. They don't they don't uh, you know they they get a little bit of a bad rap with some people just because they can be a little bitey sometimes and and they can yeah. get very they they have a strong feeding response. Sure. And which I love. You see that that's the thing that sucks that I've been around snakes or lizards that want to bite and you know they're defensive and scared and so it doesn't bother me. So when I'm at a reptile show or if I'm selling a, a small animal to somebody, it's like I have this calloused perspective on a snake bite. I've never had anything in the hundreds or, you know, bites that I've had over my life. Like I've never had an infection or never had anything wrong. So I don't really think anything of it. So there's been a couple times and it's probably my fault, you know, as a breeder that I don't communicate to a customer to say, hey, by the way, you know yeah this this might have a little bit of a strong feeding response but it'll go away with time and you just have to work with it hasn't happened often but i've had a couple customers reach out and be like hey so when is this thing gonna stop trying to bite me <laughs> and i'm like yeah. yeah i know you know but yeah so, i so, mean yeah, if, a, if a, for me if a customer brings that up then i'll be fully transparent and i'll give them my honest opinion which is depends on how much work you put into them yada yada um yeah. but I'll tell them they're a little nippy. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and exactly. usually most people are cool that you're upfront about it. And that's that, you know, so. Yeah. That's the way I approach it. Being forward, you know? Yeah. I, I've had, a, I've had snakes that, that are rosies from the time they were babies that were calm, chill, never struck, never bit. And 
two or three years later decided, you know what, I'm going to try to eat your forearm. I think, I think I can, I think I can take you. And then, then they don't do it again for another year. You know, it's, it's kind of odd. And I I think people getting into reptiles, I think it's important that they just understand that, you know, this is, this is a wild animal. And at any point it can decide that it's going to try to nibble on you and just relax, be calm. It's not a big deal. It might hurt a little bit. It might hurt a lot depending on the species that you're dealing with. But yeah, it's like, don't, don't let that be something that discourages you. I think that's the, that's the biggest thing I, I try to tell kids when they have their parents at my table and, and we're talking rosies and, and I'm encouraging them to say, look, this is a phenomenal animal to start with. I mean, they're, they're small, they eat great. All of that aside, they're, they're awesome pets. I mean, they're freaking tanks. You cannot feed them for months and they're going to be fine. They're not, you know, but you do have to deal with that reality that they're, they're going to be a little nippy sometimes. And, uh, you know, sometimes people get discouraged and, and, you know, that's, it sucks to see that, you know, see people walk away like, oh man, I don't know if I can deal with that. Oh, well. Yeah, I'll, it is I'll, what it I'll is. Keep, I'll keep yeah. them if they don't want them. <laughs> I mean, I feel like children's pythons and Antaresia have a similar reputation for the same sort yeah. of thing. You're, you know, there's some great comparison. Size. Yeah, yep, real great, similar. Great yeah. comparison. Ironically enough, mine are all really chill. So you got yours from Andy, right? Andy Grossman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's man. His anteries are. Yeah, they're fun snakes, dude. They're hard to resist. I visited a guy locally to me and saw some of his uh, western stimmies and his pygmies and his spotteds and his max and things like that. Just, dude, I mean, I know. Oh, I just saw stimmy. somebody post posting some stimmies too on on Instagram earlier. I think it was. Uh, Dan from Trap City. He was. Yeah. He posted. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like, Dan. Oh, has some. They're those, really those cool, are nice. man. They're not big. The problem is, is like if you do plan on breeding them, then you're gonna regret ever getting into them because they're just little jerks to feed. Like they're just terrible. To get about them, it. Yeah, to get them started. Yeah. Dude, some of them figure it out. Very few do. Um, most of mine are still needing to be assist fed. A couple of them figured it out right away, and a couple of them took it you know, after taking a few mouse tails, but otherwise like they're awful. And I've tried the, uh, <laughs> I've tried, um, the reptilinks gecko scent and a null scent. And like, I'm using different types of gecko sheds and I'm just trying whatever to see what results I get. Cause I'm curious to be honest, but yeah. Are, are you getting success with those by the way? Just, I, I haven't tried them funny enough. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, uh, I was a rep for, for Reptin Links for a little bit, um, just trying to see how they would do at the shows. But I didn't. I stopped carrying the product uh, just before they started releasing all the scents. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've got a very limited sample size of what I've tried it on. I've tried it on a couple, uh, like the two Madagascar giant hognose babies and then a few of the children's, and that's it so far. And uh, it hasn't made a difference thus far, but I see plenty of people like Gary Shavino reporting that he got his children's pythons to switch uh, to rodents with the scent and a few other people. So like sometimes it does work. Sometimes it doesn't, I wouldn't say it's a cure all, but it's like, to me, it's a nice tool to have in the tool bag. So they stay in the freezer and, uh, and I'm, you know, I stand by my purchase, you know, I'm glad I purchased them. Reptilinks makes a great product. They haven't worked for me yet, but that does not mean they won't work for me in the future. So. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. That's, that's cool. 
Yeah. So anyway, so am am I off the hook now with my intros, or do you need me to talk about other animals? Well, that I have be, or... before we let you go, <laughs> you, Andy is a humble guy, and he's playing himself quite uh, quietly right now. And so, for those of you who don't know Andy Rea, uh, he is very hit or miss uh, as far as his activity levels on social media. And when he is president or present, it's uh, it's still pretty. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. I like the sound of that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> when his ego gets President? so big, you notice him on the internet. No, when uh, when you do see him, he is still very quiet, and he's not very like out there a lot. He, you know, the Jungle Carpet Python page, I think, is probably the one you're the most involved in, from what I see. I could be wrong, but Andy yeah. works with Doomerals boas. He's got a nice collection of jungle carpets. Rosie's obviously he's you know he's been building an army of bull snakes um, yeah yeah so there's <laughs> there's a lot so for those of you out there who are hearing this and you've been bitten by this variety bug that the masses have started taking on to again you know the wave back to the obscure and the unique sort of like the ebb and flow that naturally happens with trends and fads in the reptile market, pushing away from morphs and coming back in. It's a wave, it's an ebb and flow. So right now, you know, all the morphs are huge and some of the mainstream stuff is got it beyond sustainable market. There's so there's a really huge growing market of people going into the eclectic side of things. And I think uh, you're one of those people who's been into that stuff before. It was cool. <laughs> and uh, it's really yeah, neat to see sure. people coming back to that. <laughs> It's neat. Yeah, I've had an I've had an eclectic uh, collection for man as long as I can remember. But you know, it's funny that you said that word. I was um, and the Jungle Carpet Group, uh, Jungle Carpet Pythons US on Facebook. Uh, I definitely am. Uh, I try to be a little more active on there on Facebook if I can. I was fortunate enough to get added on, kind of as a moderator by Andrew Paris. But I was just talking with Andrew uh, just a couple days ago because I'm been thinking about doing a rebranding and eclectic came up uh, a couple of times there but I, i'm not going to go into the details of the message but but it could have been translated in other ways so i opted not to go in that direction but yeah <laughs> i've got i also started recently and man this is the cool thing for me you know i've never really been focused on the the morphs or um you know and that's the that's the tough thing with with trying to have conversations with folks about the history of, of her, you know, the reptile hobby. I don't go that far back compared to people like Randy Wright, you know, that he, I mean, he was breeding for 40, almost 50 years. I mean, he just retired just a couple of years ago and the amount of knowledge that that man had was just unbelievable. I wish I could have like downloaded his brain. I mean, I, I know that sounds weird, but I just, I really wish that I, that's something that I could have done. So one of the things that I feel we need to get back to as a hobby for keepers is like, what makes you happy? You know, what, what actually grabs your heart? What is it that brings joy when you're opening up a cage or when you're opening up a tub um, for the longest time when going back, you know, circling back to when I was keeping, when I was younger as a teenager, I had some corn snakes that I absolutely loved. They were so cool. And it was for some reason, I got caught up in this, the rat race. I don't know why, but I was thinking, you know, I, I want to keep cool morphs and I, or I want to keep this cool species. And, 
you know, all this other stuff that I used to love, you know, well, too bad. It's just not cool enough. Or So I got away from all of that. And recently, me and, me and Travis Johnson from Living Legless, we, we, you know, him and I are always going back and forth with species. And he's had corn snakes for a while, too. And oh, yeah. He's had those for years. For years, right. And, and, and I was just, you know, him and I were just chit-chatting and one day and I'm like, dude, man, I really want corn snakes again. And he starts laughing at me. He's like, what? He's like, what? Corn snakes? Where the hell is that coming from? And I'm, and so the second that something like that gets into my head, dude, it just becomes this freaking hook, like a fish, you know, jumping out of the water. And I had to have corn snakes at that point. But so I took it a little step further and I know that there's so many corn snake morphs out there and so many different looks. Well, I opted to go with some locality animals and not, not just locality animals either too. I mean, there are some pretty special bloodlines, but so I made that decision to come back to something that I really wanted, like something in my, like that, that children, that, that heart of a child type of joy, like, Oh my God, I'm going to get this little snake. Right. Well, my buddy Chris Sharp at the Sacramento show, man, he hooked me up with this trio of just unbelievably gorgeous Miami phase corn snakes. And that dude, that was it. That, that was, I was freaking hooked. Now I've got a dozen already. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> so, so now I've got like, uh, I've got locality specific Okatees that were actually from the Okatee hunt club. Um, so I got a trio of those that are also poshets for um, the red Zeppelin. Uh, which is which is basically oh, like that's a, a dope name <laughs> yeah 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 it's it's actually the history behind that too uh that hey that might that might segue into a into a future episode if we can get I, some of the guys i'm pulling up a document with our list to add it to it as we speak <laughs> yeah awesome yeah because so so the story behind the red zeppelin name man is just unbelievable there i mean we're talking legends dude craig trumbauer you know howie yeah. sherman yeah I mean, who doesn't so know who doesn't know the trumbauer name and all of that right or... exactly and um so and then tony d also involved with that whole with that whole line so to be able to get my hands on those i got um i picked those up from angel uh back in florida and and i i totally wasn't ex- expecting to get those i remember seeing him posting them up and then they were gone like they were gone and then i saw him post them up again like maybe a month or two later and I messaged him with the quickness and I was like, dude, what the hell, you know, what's going on? Why are they, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm thankful. So for whoever possibly might be listening to this podcast and we're the ones that decided not to buy them from angel. Thank you. Cause I bought them and they are incredible. Sure. They are absolutely incredible. I mean, this is just a wild type, just this freaking almost fluorescent orange and just these beautiful contrasting saddles. I mean, this is just a wild type animal. I mean, forget the albinos and forget all the other stuff that's behind it. I mean, this is something that a kid can go out there and herp. Uh, that's that's for me, that just kind of brought me back to my youth a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I just kind of need to change my focus on how I keep and what I'm going to plan on doing. Like, I don't care that it might only be a $40 animal, a regular old normal corn snake. It, trust me, they're not going to be $40 if they're locality specific corns, but you know what I mean? Like if I yeah. have a kid that, if I have a kid that's at my table and he's like, man, this would be so cool. And I can pull out an adult and be like, look, but 
if you spend the time, if you're committed to this animal, you know, this, however many years, you know, you're going to have an animal that's like this, that's placid, that's amazing to keep. And so that's a long winded way of saying I'm back into corn snakes. Uh, And then another ant. Yeah, dude. Uh, And then also Florida Kings recently just, man, they just captured me, my heart. I, I'd wanted some for years. And again, I, I just was like, Oh no, uh, I'm staying away from colubrids and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, you know, trying to like be hyper focused on other projects. And I just not, I just, that's just not me. You know, I, I still am very focused on my jungles and I've been very patient. I'm so thankful dude, that this is going to be the first year that I really am going to have some, you know, my, my A grade animals are going to be ready to go. So I'm really excited about that. But that, again, that's a lot of tutelage and mentorship from other keepers that kind of got me to where I'm at now. And it was, it's been four or five years of patience waiting for this time for these particular animals to be ready to go. And so being focused like that uh, was important, I think, to, to learn that patient side of things as a breeder. I still don't, I still haven't yet to produce a, a clutch of carpets and, um, I've had a clutch of eggs, but I ruined them. You know, I, I immediately, I should have just left them with the mom. Uh, but I've, I've had a clutch of jungle eggs a couple years ago. And then, and then I, I turned into like, like the most anxious person in the world and felt like I had to pull them and anyway, but, uh, so yeah, so, so that was just a really long winded way of saying that I really like, uh, colubrids <laughs> also. You like variety, and I think I variety do, is the spice I of do. life. I mean, I'm I'm the same, man. I really I feel it. I feel it. There, hats off to the people who keep one species in excess or for sure, know, for and sure, just multiple numbers. But like, I can't do that. I can't do that either. I honestly, and and you know what? And this seg this is going to segue into another episode where we talk about an eclectic collection and really what are the negatives and the and the positives of having a collection like that? Because I can tell you, man, having a collection with a large variety of animals, you are going to run into problems, and you're going to run into some some heartache. I think um, people need to be prepared for that. I certainly have run into some major heartache with having such a varied collection and then you're trying to match different requirements for animals that are in a completely different part of the world, all in the same room. Right. It's just, it's just not going to work. And there's times where it can, and there's times where it can't. And I think that that's important for people to realize, you know, my rosies, my jungles, basically that surprisingly are, are, are pretty much, they don't require you know, anything that is, that's too d- drastically different. And so everything kind of has to fit within that realm when it comes to my ambience and when it comes to some of my requirements of my room. And if it doesn't, they're going to suffer. Right. And I've had, I've had some species, I've had some times where it's been heartache and I lose animals and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of animals I'd love to keep, but ju- they just wouldn't agree with the way this room operates at all. So yeah, you got to know, uh, what you can and can't do, you know, you can always plan for them in the future, but like if you need a species that can't get over 75 and you're trying to keep pythons in that same room, it's not going to work. Yep. So, yeah. Hey, can I ask you a quick question? Shoot. So since I'm, this is the reptile room podcast in case people didn't know that already. Yeah. And I'm in my reptile room. Mm -hmm. Can you hear my heater? No. Woo! Wind, dude. Right. 
Speaking of heaters, I got a new one today because this Vornado one that I've had for the last few years that's been reliable and solid with like the high-low, auto, continuous, and then a dial. You can sort of feather it out to where it needs to be based on what's going on. Um, it's been reliable. I just sort of, yeah, it just stopped working. Um, it didn't fail on me. It was super safe. It always had this tip-over safety feature. I think it had a metal heating element in it, which is probably why it failed in just five years. Um, and so I went out to Target after work today and got this, uh, what the heck is the brand? I don't even know. I can't see it. It's dark in here. Um, it's some, some brand that they carry at Target for 60 bucks. It's like an upright heater that oscillates if you want it to. And it's got like a, uh, a digital display on it with a programmable thermostat on it and a fan and a timer and all this stuff. And like, sweet. 60 bucks and I can keep my room like it's actually better than the one I had before because now I have the peace of mind of that digital display where I can see exactly what it's set to and it turns on and off just like a you know any other thermostat control and the snake racks in here and it's just that extra peace of mind is amazing and it's actually cheaper than what I paid for that Vornado thing a few years ago so nice man they, yeah. that, and you know what again another episode in the future products mm -hmm. for your reptile yeah. room yeah <laughs> The, the tools of the trade the tools of the trade we're dropping all kinds of nuggets here folks i hope you're preparing yourself for the future yeah, preparing there, your ears there's gonna be there's gonna be plenty plenty and plenty of uh ongoings to to record and put out for sure well and this is a good opportunity for people to understand that like uh i think they need to know you're the smart one and i just keep snakes <laughs> 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 i'll i'll do i'll do a little bit here and there but yeah you the memory and the recall on species and taxonomy and the geeking out stuff i can geek out with most people but then i'll i'll shut up and listen more often than not um when it comes to getting into the weeds of species and i i i, I absorb more than i can actually <laughs> actually recall <laughs> It's tough. There's a lot out there, man. There's thousands of species in, in the groups and niches that we work in. So, yeah, there's a lot for sure. I guess, like, I wouldn't say I have, like, the encyclopedic memory that some old school herpers have. Um, but, like, my job forces me to sort of pay attention to a variety of certain details across various species in order to really have a good comprehension of what they need husbandry wise in order to you know figure out if we can or can't work with them or not so um yeah so i've just like i engulf myself in it like on a 24 7 basis so i've just trained my brain like any other muscle in the human body to function that way i guess i don't know it's um I don't know. It seems normal to me, but then I tend to like um, fry some some fuses and switches in people's brains when they ask me a question that they don't realize I'm going to give them more than they bargained for in my answer. Um, I don't know. I just like I I I delve so deep into this. Like, so um, I got into this when I was like eight years old, and. Uh, my parents didn't think I was serious and they thought it was like a phase. And so I had to um, <laughs> sort of like 
show them I was dead serious. And so they're like, okay, you know, we'll see how long he keeps us up. And after a while, they're like, okay, you know, really prove it to us. And so I had to show them that I was serious by like going to the library once a week and like doing my research and pulling out books and um, just showing them a bunch of stuff. And, and eventually they broke down and I think it was for my birthday. They got me my first uh, pet reptile and it ended up being a California king snake from some local pet shop in the you know, yes. South Peninsula. And uh, I had it for a number of years and the thing would get out constantly because back then uh, it was like slide lid screen, you know, stuff without any pins or latches or anything. That technology just wasn't around. The internet wasn't really a thing um, at that point, at least, you know, for the general public. And uh, so, you know, just used what was available. The thing got out all the freaking time. <laughs> Like it would, like it'd be gone for weeks at a time. And one time, I remember hearing. Uh, so my dad lived in this duplex, and I remember hearing the lady in the 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 unit next to us scream out of her backyard, which like shared a fence line with ours. And uh, we ran over there, and she's like, her front door was unlocked because it was like cool neighborhood. Like we live next to a trailer park, and like all you know, all these other duplexes and little shitty houses next to the freeway, and. Um, you know, everybody kind of knew everybody. And so she screamed, we like bolted over, ran through, it was wide open. And, uh, she was on the back porch and she said she walked out and a snake fell off the roof on her arm. And there on the, the steps into her house was my snake. <laughs> so I snatched it up and ran back inside, put it away and, you know, went about my business like nothing happened. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that happened a lot. And then, um, I had him for a few years and then at my mom's house we had like bearded dragons, leopard geckos, birds, rabbits, dogs, uh, horses, everything, just animals all the time. And then kind of got away from it for a little while um, in my teenage years, skateboarding and just being an absolute hooligan, moving around a little bit. And then... Uh, you a hooligan? Yeah. No. Yeah, no. So by the time I hit college, like a lot of my skater friends were in different areas and I wasn't hanging out with them as much. And so skateboarding became less of a priority and I kept like breaking myself and hurting myself. And at that point I was starting to volunteer and work at the zoo. And so I just like made a conscious decision that uh, I like working at the zoo too much to be a broke skater bum that's like literally breaking his ankles to the point where he can't fit his foot in a boot in order to do his job sort of thing. So I backed off that as much as I had to. And, and so then that, you know, was the start of making my animal obsession a professional thing and uh, started with volunteering for a year and a half or so, and then got hired on as an apprentice and, went down that road and eight years later I'm here and I've you know branched into the private hobby sector sort of things like when I first started that's when I found the whole Pomona scene and Orange County reptile shows when I was living in Santa Barbara so um, I was really able to stay connected to like sort of the mecca of California reptile scene down there and kind of be distant from it but close enough and uh, I was very fortunate to meet a lot of really awesome people and get a lot of feet in the door from other people working with local pet shops and things like that to get in involved in a lot more and 
entrench myself in that side of things while I was also on the other side of the fence in the zoological field, uh, entrenching myself in that side of things. So I, I definitely uh, play both sides of the field and it can be controversial, but you know, but we're not going that route. We're talking professionally like reptile keeping Andy, get your mind out of the gutter. What do you, what? what? No, I didn't yeah. Know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know Andy, uh, oh, whoa, whoa, never, whoa. never mind. Never mind. <laughs> People don't need to know me like that. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, so yeah, that like, it's been animals all the time. Like my mom was very much a, a granola sort of bohemian individual, very much raised by my biological grandmother, who was like a total 60s, 70s hippie, like, um, you know, all the depictions of what you see in like Forrest Gump and the, the news channels and everything like that, dude. Like that was my grandma. And she's just fried, dude. She's burnt out. I want to... Oh man. She's nah, she, she's not really in our life anymore. She's like too fried um like to a like a not healthy level my mom took some serious offenses anyway um but she used to she used to drive us around the hills of san francisco in this like big ass metal like old milk truck with no seats in the back of my brother and i would quite literally bounce around in the back of this big steel like bus thing go cruising around the hills of sf as kids and we loved every minute of it it was the best thing only had two seats so my mom and grandma drove that thing and they (laughs) hauled ass around the hills of the city (laughs) damn near killing us dude oh you couldn't do that today for sure but um but yeah so like because my mom grew up with horses and then had horses her whole adult life um she realized very quickly that i would get into trouble being left alone as a uh preteen and teenager at home playing with matches skating off the roof throwing water balloons at cars all of the above skating in grocery stores getting cops called on us all of these things like breaking into schools to go skate spots like everything we would get cops called on us regularly and because my buddy's mom was a dispatcher they'd like they just call her and she'd like get us off so it was never serious but it had to come to an end at some point um so yeah it just kind of was like a natural thing to take me to the horse stables where she kept her horses rather than leave me at home to potentially get into trouble headbutt windows you know all the stupid shit that i did and uh um and i found myself like hopping fences and wading up creeks and mudding through all sorts of stuff and catching snakes that I couldn't identify and finding frogs and toads and things just in this area and just being fascinated with just like mucking through the mud and catching snakes and stuff. And so like, I think that further entrenched things and I, you know, for a while I was interested in the horses, but like after getting stepped on a couple of times, it's like, nah, <laughs> these things suck. They're way too big for me. <laughs> yeah. The horses are awesome. Actually. I love horses too, but they do, they are intimidating, huh? Yeah, I mean, after you realize their, you know, the strength and power, you're like, okay, you know, this is an animal so to take serious, you know. So I wasn't, I don't think I was ready for that level of responsibility at that age. Like I was still goofing off too much, and then yeah. when I when I got into like towards the end of college, and I started actually keeping reptiles at my place at my discretion, um, it was a little. Uh, different because it was like all on my discretion and choice and um 
it was kind of eye-opening because you know you definitely only get a nuanced version of what it takes to you know maintain an animal when you're doing it at home with your parents and everything because they're going to be heavily involved so um but like i just couldn't get enough of it and like you know how most people if they find a career where like they do it all day they're just they definitely don't want to do it when they come home. I'm the opposite. Like I'll do it all day, 40 plus hours a week and come home and do it another 20, like no yeah. problem. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how that goes. So, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's cool that you touched on, on being able to do. So to go back just for a, a minute, I actually was growing up in my mind, the one thing goal a or goal number one, if you want to call it was to become uh, an exotics vet. Mm. And I, you know, went through high school and did my best to, you know, try to get through um, what I needed to do to get into Davis. And prior to doing that, I got myself um, a paid, I, it, it was a job, but it was, you know, I viewed it as an internship at a local vet hospital and I did that actually for about three years. And while doing that, I convinced myself to, so that I can work through vet school. I, in my mind, what I had worked out was that I would get myself a technician's license or, you know, um, at, at the time it wasn't a license, but it, it was just a, uh, a certificate basically go. So I went to a local school Hartnell here at community college. And also while I was doing that, uh, go, I went to a vet school, um, to work and it, in my mind, my goal was I'm going to be there for basically two years and then I'm going to make up my mind. And I couldn't make up my mind at the two year mark. And I said, well, I'm going to give myself another year. And at that point is when I, I, I made that hard decision that I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life in terms of being just seeing the life of the doctors and seeing the life of the kid, their kids, basically I helped raise them for those three years, yeah. you know, watching them and playing with them and seeing the, the ins and outs of a vet hospital. It's not for everybody, you know? And, um, I, I lost my way after that three year mark. Cause I, I made that super hard decision. Like, you know what? I don't think I want to do this. And then I didn't know what to do. I was so lost. I had no idea what to do with my life at that point. Um, I'm, I wish I could have had that, that perspective, like you just said, in terms of I could do this 40 hours, you know, 40 hours a week or to do it eight hours a day and come home and then boom, do it another, however many hours you need to do it, you know, but. Well, so, and, and it wasn't always like that. Like I, I had two. let's, I have two chapters to, like my career will say as far as the zookeeping like the the um the reptile stuff on the private side is like it's my own wizardry my own you know imagination in a room and what i can you know accomplish with the resources i have and that's you know sort of that in a nutshell and that tends to be carpet pythons creepos rainbow boas amazons children's like you know all those things um to whatever degree I can and with growth and reason and projected future best hopes and aims and ideas. But, um, at first I took it for granted, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I got into it. I got, you know, kind of drunk with the scene of the private 
and digital world and just how much was going on and how in, entrenched I could get into it. And um, it just became sort of like this thing that uh, engulfed me and changed me a little bit. And I wasn't like, I guess I wasn't as grateful for where I was at and the people that had helped me get there and what I had learned. Um, like I thought I was, but I, you know, you, you think you're grateful until you're, you know, you're falling on your face and then you really find out what true gratitude is, uh, after you pick yourself up from that, if you're able to. And so I, when I moved from Santa Barbara to Sacramento, I had to, you know, say goodbye to my career in order to, uh, make them move up here and, and, and follow yeah. the, you know, yeah, exactly. So, that. you know, Rachel got the job up here and there was no way I was going to distance myself from her. Like we have a great thing going. And, and, um, when it came down to what was priority, it was her over everything else. And so, uh, you know, I just decided like, I'm gonna, you know, grow up real quick here and, uh, call this the end of this chapter and yeah. find a new career choice and just make it work and figure it out and sacrifice where necessary. And for a year I worked this horrible, <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember bro. Hey, you know what? Before, uh, I want you to know Elizabeth and I were so proud of you for making that move to Sacramento because she's an amazing part of your life, dude. And that was just such a cool thing to see you do. To, to see you make that decision because I know that that was a hard, that was a very hard decision. Um, yeah, dude, yeah. I was lost for a while. That was yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, yeah. not to get all mushy on you, man, but no, we were, no, no. We were, I, we were I proud of you, it. dude. We were proud of you, man. So I appreciate it. Well, and that's, you know, that brings it right back to my point, like being grateful, you know, the gratitude of like who keeps you up. Like, that was a really depressing time. Like that sucked. I was washing dirt for a living. Yeah. No exaggeration Ugh. to everyone who is listening. There is a career where you can make $12 an hour in Rancho Cordova, California, washing dirt from 6 a.m. until 2 p.m. You can get great taco truck food. I'm not kidding. That's actually that pretty good. good right now. Um, but you <laughs> might get assaulted by refugees. You will get crap pay. People won't care about you. And good luck finding work in the winter and you'll hate your life and it's miserable. And when you go from the dream job of working as a reptile keeper in a zoo in California's little slice of paradise, Santa Barbara yeah. to that, yeah. you want to talk about a reality check or a, like a big slap in the face. I mean, that really struck me down bad. Yep. And uh, there were a lot of truths that I had to confront in that and a lot of realities that sort of I just had to eat and uh, man, I found a way to, to just make it work. And, and then I just, you know, stuck it out and my patience paid off and it, you know, like I just found myself weaseling my way back into the zoo world and here I am. Yeah. Hell yeah. I, I remember seeing your messages and I just, I can see, I can feel like your body language in some of the messages that I would get from you and just kind of just getting updates from you, man. I, 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 that was, that was tough. It, you know, you're, you're, you're typically more, a more uplifting guy. You're, you're, or, you know, you got more energy and, and happy and go lucky. And, you know, I, I like that. 
because that helps me get through my day every once in a while just seeing you know a stupid text from you or, or message or whatever saying something that's totally inappropriate just to repeat on this show <laughs> <laughs> but you know for for somebody like me you know if, if that would help me you know i struggle with so much other stuff in life and seeing that that you know, uplifting humorous message would get me through, you know, that, that next little hump in that day in the office or whatever it might be. And so having, having to, having to, to read your unhappiness, man, damn, bro. Yeah. That was tough, dude. But I'm just, I'm so stoked where you are right now in life. Like I'm so happy how things have changed. So yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, it was it was a really yeah. crappy time, and I was like super bummed because I was on the verge of feeling like I needed to sell all of my snakes and dip out of reptiles just to pay for my existence, and that was like a soul crushing thought in itself. No, uh, dude, it. it was no. it was harsh to even like put those words together in that sentence just now. Like that's the first time I've said that. Yeah, but that was the reality, man. That was your your struggling. It was. And- yeah. I, hey, you know what though, man? I, I, it wasn't that long ago. I was right there because I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this whole house thing, and I, you know, yeah, yeah. no, that's the reality of life, and that's going to go into probably another episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. I mean, we're 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 dropping like golden nuggets all over the place on this one. Yeah, I'll be. No, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to run no, with that one. No, no I'm going to keep we'll that one to myself. So yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to reel us back in here and sort of... Uh, Let's do it. So that, you know, that was a, a really like quick intro to to who you and I are and, and our, our sort of personalities and perspectives we bring to this table. And, and my idea with with doing this show and asking you in particular is because there's a lot of, thank you again, by the way, of course, man. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who I, I certainly could ask to do such an endeavor as this and they would do just as well. No problem. Right. And there's no slight to anybody else who like any of my friends, any of the guys that I would consider doing this with, um, but you were just the first person I thought of. And it just like, after having that thought, I just couldn't pass it up. And and the reason being is what's, what's the majority of, of reptile people these days, right? There's the average keeper, somebody who has a couple animals at home and they just, you know, they really like doing it on the side when they get home from work or school or whatever, when their family's around, whatever it is, you know, you and I keeping 30, 80, a hundred snakes in a room is not normal. Um, <laughs> hey, I mean that whoa. in the best way possible. Hey. What I'm saying hey, is, hey, hey. Our I audience, am, I'm sensitive. I'm sensitive. Yeah, that's not normal either. <laughs> <laughs> you weirdo. Um, <laughs> see, there's that horrible side you bring out of me, Andy. Damn it, this backfired. Um, no, I was thinking that you have a very relatable perspective and story, you know, uh, you, you're married, you have kids, you have a house, you have a mortgage, you have a full-time job. 
uh, you have this annoying white friend who like asks you to do digital work with you on on a recording level who's you know mm-hmm. not married and doesn't have kids but does have a full-time job and pretends to be as busy as you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not busy at all but yeah no, no i've got all the time in the world for this but um so i make time yeah i make time i invest i invest time where i see it's a worthwhile investment. Well, I think this is, this will be fun at the very least, you know, um, like I started doing carpets and coffee on YouTube and, uh, I've put together 49 episodes of that. Uh, I know it's nuts. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really like, it doesn't really dawn on me until I look at the number and I'm like, crap, I've been running my mouth 49 times. That's awful. And, uh, (laughs) But like people love it. People hit me up and they're like, dude, thank you. And like when I don't yeah. do it, they're like, what the heck, man? And so I didn't do one yep. last week. And um, by the time this is coming Why? out, well, so I didn't do one last week because um, the time that I would have done it at, I was uh, uh, co-hosting for Morelia Python Radio um, with Eric. Who who are they? Uh, you know, just these these guys that uh, Eric Eric Owen. I'm kidding. So yeah, the, God, <laughs> the Godfathers of Reptile Podcasting, more or less, for sure. Um, so yeah, I was I was sure. filling in because Owen had a work commitment, and the guest was an overseas individual who, by the time you're hearing this, the episode has since been out. Um, by the time this recording comes out, awesome it's episode. 2020. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I was fortunate enough to be on, uh, with Daniel and the talking about his new green tree Python paper after all the research, um, sort of, dude, I was geeking out on that episode. Oh, it was amazing, dude. I was overwhelmed. Oh my, oh my God. Dude, I felt so dude. bad. I, I like fumbled the first couple of times I had to get on. There was like, Oh dude, I like, I'm not prepared because it was just so much information. Cause I'm looking at his paper for the second or third time, um, right before the show i have it open during the show i had been studying the abstract and i've been looking at this i was like writing down this chart of things and i'm like trying to listen and do all this stuff at once and i just like i felt like i fumbled it and nobody said anything so like you know feel free to no 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 you were you were good everybody listening to that episode flat out was just coming it overwhelming in a great way and that's the awesome thing about eric and owen and their show and i've been lingering for years just kind of in the background i don't the the nuggets that that he was dropping and the the, just the knowledge and the perspectives on his study was unbelievable Uh, it was just something that was for me the one thing that struck out to me the most out of all of that was the color the 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 scalation color of a of a reptile and the varying mm. degrees of how it can absorb heat that that was just like holy crap man of course that makes total sense you know different animals yeah. of different colors are going to absorb heat in a different way yeah i mean it i mean like to the very extremes you wear black t-shirt on a hot day you're gonna get real hot real fast yep so so you know that's why like reptiles at high elevations tend to have darker colors or in like colder latitudes tend to have darker scalation because they need the ability to warm up faster 
Um, see, and this is where the mind of a biology and a zookeeper, because you study more on that side of things versus somebody that, you know, a hobbyist keeper like me, we don't focus on those kinds. We don't, at least I don't, I, I can't say for everybody else. I could say for myself, like I'll geek out and, and, and enjoy my animals, but I don't think about those kinds of things like, oh yeah, they need to heat up a little bit faster because they may not have that extra heat to do what they need to do and boom they're darker like bolens you know bolens pythons oh yeah cloud forest reptile you know diamond pythons are one of the most southerly occurring pythons they're heavily melanistic i mean you know their trait is for similar purposes so um yeah i mean it's just you know looking at the natural history of it and you train yourself to think in different ways and look at it that way and it depends on what you're keeping and how you're keeping and how important that aspect is to that. And if you're, you know, curious about obtaining data from your private collection and studying certain behaviors, then you start paying attention to that. But if you're just keeping snakes, then it doesn't matter. You know, it's just kind of fun, objective right. data that's just there. But um, yeah, I mean, you can really go as deep as you want with keeping reptiles. You can keep a couple frogs at home. You can keep one snake and keep a hundred snakes you can really go as deep as you want because nowadays we have products out there technology information uh breeders importers if you're looking for stuff that can only be brought in sourced from the wild like you really can get just about anything ethically these days um almost you know there's always exceptions but it's kind of a really cool pivotal time and and that's sort of why like you know, I wanted to take carpets and coffee to the next level, but for the longest time, I didn't know what to do. And so I hit like this plateau where I was doing it every week really consistently. And then I just like started faltering and like taking weeks off or being late or whatever it was and uh, inconsistent. And it was because like, I just like, it was fun and I was getting good feedback, but like, I've just had this feeling like I needed something something else something for the next step and i'm a i'm a podcast junkie so i've just kind of been you know involved in npr as much as possible and still will be as much as possible and but uh yeah it just seemed like the the next natural evolution and i wanted to get away from the name carpets and coffee not because i don't enjoy it but because that would pigeonhole sort of the time and subject matter and i didn't want to do that I want this to be gotcha. pretty wide open, comprehensive, just like talking about, you know, the average keeper, like what people do in their room. Like, you know, a lot yeah. of the stuff we talk about are like fantasy species or fantasy equipment. Like freedom <laughs> yeah. breeder is, you know, ever present, but like how many of us can afford freedom breeder? Not I, you right. know? So yeah, I was thinking it would be something a little more relatable to the average keeper. Um, you know, we'll try and have some guests on here and there, but I'm thinking, you know, guests would be like big name importers or breeders or relatable names for species that we all know and love to even people that we know locally that just like keep a couple snakes at home or have their own style to it or just, you know, kind of everything in between all, all colors and walks of life, all spectrums just cover the spread. And in that way, everything's relatable everything is you know 
I mean, because ultimately everybody has something to offer, right? So we really can't go wrong in that regard. And I, I think if we want to be relatable, having folks like you and everybody else come on here is the best way to go. So the thing is, you and I both. Have... What do you mean? What do you mean, like me? I'm just kidding. Oh, you know my friend. You know what I think. There it is, bringing it out of me. Um, oh, dang it! Sorry. Uh, no, I was, I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this fool, eh? Oh, crap! Here, eh? Hey, my. Calm down. My, Calm down, oh. My modelo is empty, my friend. <laughs> Um, I know we're terrible. Um, yeah. First and only episode. No, but I was thinking just, yeah, like relatable folks. Like, um, there's a guy I met locally here who's, you know, husband, father, just like you has great collection, you know, like that sort of stuff is cool because, uh, everybody everywhere has different rooms, styles of keeping, ways of keeping. Well, like, and they're, I think their stories too, like that, oh, that I think is going to be so, yeah, like that'll be really cool to, and I barely, like I barely touched into my history and, and, you know, that, that'll come out in time with sure. the more episodes that we do, but being able to touch into the stories of these people and how, maybe how they got started. Like I was yeah. just listening to, to um, the Herbert Culture podcast with Andy Grossman's episode in terms mm. of like, he was kind of afraid of snakes at first. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it took somebody to, to basically put a snake on his lap to then for him to realize like, man, this shit is cool. Yeah. These yeah. snakes, these snakes are amazing. And so being able to, I, I didn't know that about Andy Yeah, and being able to hear that history and the stories of people, I think is an important part of, how it relates to us going back to whether it was, I, I don't, man, I'm telling you, I'm a 40 year old man. I don't care. There's moments where I go to a reptile show and I feel like I'm 10. Yep. So if we can 100%. go back, if we can go take our hearts back to that moment where we feel like kids, like, Oh my God, this is so exciting. This is amazing. That's those moments. I think that we want to capture that we want to relate to that. We want people to enjoy listening to the show to be like, Oh man, I remember that moment when, I got my first corn snake or when I got my first king snake or um, when I got my first ball python, this is the way I felt like, man, we should be feeling like that more often when we rock, walk into our reptile room. Or if it's not a reptile room, I don't even care. It's If it's that little tiny corner in your bedroom, in your apartment where you've got that one rack or the one cage and your one animal, it doesn't matter if you've got one or if you've got a hundred or a thousand, like you should have that joy and that love in your heart for keeping that animal and you know, that's a, for me what I want to kind of just grasp onto and help people push their love and their heart towards that side of it, you know? Well, and think of how many of us reptile nerds are going to subject people, friends, and family to listening to such audio like this in the car ride <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> Might as well make it engaging and rope them in that way, right? Like, I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've brought people over into at least just checking out a reptile from like, terrifying body paralyzing fear to petting a snake yeah. within like 30 minutes Hell yeah um, yeah definitely so That's such a cool experience by the way like dude man, it's it's amazing I, it's profound I love that it's very yep. profound when something like that happens like it sticks with you and it hits you and then there's a ripple effect and like this aftershock when it happens where you're like decompressing from it because it is so profound when somebody comes around and makes such a huge change like that it's hard to ignore 
Um, so, so funny story, super short story. My mom, again, deathly afraid of reptiles, deathly afraid of snakes in particular, would never touch or hold any of my animals growing up. The only one time I was able to have a snake in my mom's house happened to be because it was in between like a living situation, but long story short, then I had my daughter, my first daughter, and I had a rosy boa. My daughter basically was like, Hey grandma, look at my snake and just boom, put it in her hand, oh, dude. And no. you should have seen <laughs> like her soul left her body. But what was nuts was to see her reaction ah. after, like, at the same time, trying to be that supportive, loving grandma to be like, Oh, this is amazing. And at, and actually see in her eyes, like, whoa, this is actually a really amazing moment. And she totally took that in and enjoyed it and loved it. But that was the last time she ever held a snake. <laughs> but anyway, so it could happen to anybody out there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And with, with, uh, with the digital age and so much like untapped potential for for passive consumable like uh auditory information like this it just seemed to me like a no-brainer that like because how many of us go to shows doesn't matter who we are who we're talking to we're like oh man i talked to so-and-so yeah. and we had a great conversation about x y and z or this species or you know i found out like this is how you really get the species to thrive or this is what the real you know and it ends up being like conversation is 100%. the best way of passive transfer of information like you can absorb it in so many ways so on the road when you're going to bed when you're waking up making coffee when you're at work whatever it is so it just seemed um like uh we could certainly bring more into the fold for everybody else doing this you know um and you know we'll see how the format evolves and what makes sense with uh with everything but for everybody who's like been getting the messages and notifications like hey check out this podcast what we are hoping to do is something that'll be like a an every other week or twice monthly sort of uh publishing schedule and we're going to try and have guests on when we can as much as we can there'll definitely be like one-on-one -on -one episodes where it's just andy and i um but we're just going to try and roll with it as much as possible you know anytime there's like relevant stuff going on in the hobby or the reptile world um you know if we can speak on it we will uh if there's folks that uh we know have cool stories or our friends that have a lot to offer uh for everybody like we really want to just make this an organic fun sort of conversational but beneficial type of show so we'll try and keep that going and i think with you know the millions of people that are out there there's just kind of limitless potential to just have new organic material uh, on a regular basis. And so we will do our best to keep this going as much as possible. And like I said, we're going to start with sort of like a twice monthly, every other week sort of thing, just to see how it works. Um, you know, please forgive us. We are not uh, the trained professionals that some of the other folks are that can do it weekly or multiple times per week, at least not yet. Um, and we'll try and keep it, you know, to a reasonable length. I feel like, you know, an hour to two is probably good. Um, maybe even on the shorter end of that, unless there's an exceptional sort of occasion or circumstances going on. 
we'll just let it ride. Um, you know, uh, NPR goes to three hours for like very rare occasions. And that's, a, that's a lot to listen to. Um, you know, all good stuff, but it's hard to do it one sitting. So sometimes it seems daunting. So I find, you know, the hour, the little hour and change sort of thing seems to be good. So, you know, let us know. We, we have an email account. We have uh, Instagram and Facebook. We're going to try and, you know, keep stuff up there. Um, you know, and we got a website. Yeah, we got a website going. Andy's Mr. Tech Guru over here. So we're going to have all that stuff going. And that way we can sort of... Um, uh, notify you of upcoming episodes, topics, uh, guests coming on, things like that. When we're going to po- uh, post episodes, stuff like that. And just try and keep those as platforms for um, staying connected with everyone. Uh, you can always email us as well at reptilerunepodcast at gmail.com. Is that correct, Andy? That is 100% correct. Sweet. Um, so that, that'll be sort of how it goes. Um, it'll all be, you know, pretty homegrown organic stuff. And, um, that's normally the best anyway. Yeah. So like if any of you guys are familiar with, um, Eric and Owen's podcast, Morelia Python radio, they're the longest running, uh, reptile podcast out there. So hats off to them. Um, and then there are a plethora of other podcasts out there such as the Herpetal the Herpeticulture podcast with uh, Jacob Bratz and Justin Smith. Uh, Justin Smith also does the Chondro cast, um, oftentimes with Luke Myers and a few other folks. There's uh, Joe and Melissa who do From the Ground Up. There's, uh, what else? There's like a bunch out there. I'm like totally blanking now. Uh, Brian and, and Garrett just started one recently. Uh, oh, yeah. That is true. Um, Word on the snake vines a good one if you like venomous talk. Um, Reptile, reptiles and chill. Uh, those guys oh, are yeah. hilarious. <laughs> on the international <laughs> they got, side, they're funny. Yeah, yeah. they're from U, they're from the UK, but they also, I mean, they they really focus in on on getting in some great guests. And they had Nick on, and uh, it was a great episode with Nick. Just uh, I think it was a couple months ago or a month ago or something like that. But anyway. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot out there. Um, you know, Forrest and MJ are, are transitioning from a YouTube thing into that as well. And Forrest has a really unique uh, perspective on life with uh, being kind of involved in the hobby side of things in so many different ways from crocodilian conservation to the private breeding sector to the morph trade to, you know, a ton. Like he's just they talk about dug in like a tick that's forest so um they're they're getting something launched as well i think it might already be launched but um they're they're going so there's just a ton and the way i see it is there's kind of no ceiling for it right now and uh you know what it does is it puts a bunch of folks out there uh voluntarily and if they're correct on their information and accurate, then that's the information that gets disseminated. If they're incorrect, it tends to be so broad, widely broadcasted that they end up getting corrected or called out for it. And then the correct information is sort of in the public eye as a result of that correction. And what it does is it brings people into one central location where they're getting sort of something that might sort of instinctually feel like entertainment because you're just listening to something like the radio, which we sort of innately regard as entertainment. 
but you end up learning something because it's a topic you're interested in. And then uh, you just retain it that way. And so you sort of bring people into the fold with everything that's going on. And uh, it's kind of unique in that way because it unites people and you get people from everywhere, from all walks of life, um, just sort of working towards, you know, appreciating keeping these reptiles appropriately. And it's kind of funny to see because it's just like this contagious thing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, and then the digital realm of it is just only growing. So, yeah, the podcast, the podcast side of, I think, um, the reptile hobby itself is definitely growing. I think that there's definitely this upward trajectory with it. And to just touch on lightly, because this will be, again, folks, pay attention. This is going to be another episode in the near future. That when somebody gets called out for poor husbandry, you know, I think as keepers for me personally, I don't care if I've been keeping for a year or if I've been keeping for 50 or 60 years, if I'm 70 or 80 years old and I'm doing something that I was doing when I was 30 and there's new facts out there, there's new studies, but I'm so dug in that I'm not willing to change as a keeper. Something's innately wrong with that. We need to learn how to humble ourselves as keepers in this hobby for the for the benefit of the animal. So we need to put our egos to the side. We need to just take away the fact that this youngin over here might be teaching us something because only because you've been doing something for 20 or 30 years and it's quote unquote been working. Well, we need to learn that there is a potential that something better is out there. Um, So I'm glad that you touched on that, 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 you know, it's, there is some people that don't, say the right things. And I'm sure I'm somebody that might say something that's incorrect, but I have somebody thankfully like Riley and other friends that'll be like, well, actually, Andy, you might want to rethink this thought or opinion because of here we go. Boom, 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 boom. And lay it out, you know, lay it out for me in a way that's professional in a way that, that comes off, you know, in, in a, in a very good, what's the word I'm thinking of Riley here. I'm like four beers in buddy. Uh, Constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah, constructive criticism and that's like a hard thing to do. Like I uh I got a lot of schooling on constructive criticism through my early like professional years, like when I was first getting yeah. into zookeeping because I was just like a green volunteer and I was just like taking everything in and learning by example and they were that facility was very good at coaching their volunteers, which is why they hired from them so frequently. And a lot of the other facilities that they migrated onto were very appreciative uh, of, you know, the caliber of people they brought in. Cause like a, a lot of folks would start there and move on. That's kind of how it goes. But um, you just kind of learn to like take it, but not take it personally have thick skin, understand that it's not an attack on you. And like when somebody says like, Hey, you didn't do this right. Or like you left this drain open a little bit and it drained out, or you didn't feed this animal properly, or you missed this on, you know, whatever. Like if, if it is something like that, it's usually something that can just be right. said pretty yeah. gently. And, and you, you should be able to just say, Oh yep. crap, you're right. My bad. And then, and then you remember it. And oftentimes when somebody's called me out, even if it is digitally and rather impersonal as a result of that realm, I find myself making good friends with those people afterwards because like, I'm like, Oh shoot, you're right. And then I'm like, thank you for correcting me because 
you know, if it's something I genuinely care about, I want to be yeah, accurately exactly. like informed on something like taxonomy or whatever it is. And uh, so if somebody's taking the time out of their day to like say, Hey man, um, you, you kind of, you misspoke on that and it's actually this or whatever. Like there, there was a recent paper a few years ago and this is kind of being the, the new regarded like taxonomy for this subspecies or whatever it is, something like that. If somebody says that to me, um, without being like, dude, you're right. an idiot or, you know, yeah, have some class with it. you know, then I'm going to be like, I'm going to look at it and be like, well, let me see that. Oh crap. You're right. Okay. My bad. Like, and then I'm like stoked on the new information. Yes. yes. So it's like, I'm, I'm definitely, I consider myself a, a newbie to sort of like the, the encyclopedic retention of knowledge of everything that is like herpetology and the keeping of reptiles in the private sector and everything. But cause it's kind of an insurmountable mountain of information to absorb, but, um, dude, it's unreal. There's so much out there. You know, a good example was your, your friend and I can never pronounce his last name, Steven. He ended up moving. Um, he was in Santa Barbara, or close to Santa Barbara, with uh, Stephen Tufankian. Yeah, he 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 had um, he had messaged, and we're talking like maybe two years ago. He had messaged me. I posted something on Instagram and and misrepresented an animal or a species, or and and he he hit me up in a PM and was like, "Hey, by the way, you know this is such and such. I can't remember the exact scenario. Again, this is my old age and my my lack of memory coming into play, but." You know, he was he was not being a jerk about it. You know, he was just being um, he was basically just being like, hey, by the way, you know, this is actually what it is. And here's why and broke it down. And I was like, I could have I could have been an idiot. I could have definitely taken it like, well, I'm I'm Mr. So-and-so and I know this much and you're just a young kid and and, you know, go mind your own business. But, you know, that's such a. I don't know, man. That's just a such just shitty way of living in life. Like I'm okay with being ignorant. Like I try to tell my kids, like it's okay to be ignorant. Be proud of being ignorant because it offers you an opportunity to learn something. It offers you an opportunity to to get more and consume more information. So anyway, yeah, that was just a long winded way of saying that yeah. learning is a. No, it's, it's good. It's good to be able to say, I don't know, you know, sorry. I actually, I accidentally muted my mic there for a second. I saw that. That's cool. I can see that. Um, I was saying it's, uh, it's, it's okay to, to say, I don't know. Absolutely. I think that's a great opportunity. Comes to animal care. If like the animal's well being depends on it. (laughs) So, but, um, yeah, so we're 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 creeping in on an hour and a half, and uh, I know, dude, gonna... that went by so fast. So yeah, just to... and if we're thinking of if we're thinking of sticking to our our one to two hour commitment, you know, why not start on the right foot? So yep. if do you wanna you wanna take us on out here? How do you wanna do this? So let me let me drop a couple a couple extra nuggets of information for all of the listeners in terms of on the tech side. So we did start. Uh, we did create a website and we are going to have a dedicated website for where you'll be able to listen to all the episodes, stream them through the website. But then we're also going to be dropping all of the episodes are going to be published on pretty much all the major platforms like Google Podcasts, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
Uh, you should be able to listen to them through SoundCloud, etc. Now, some of those are dedicated platforms, and so you have to have accounts to them. Uh, we are going to focus on our platform is called Simplecast, and that's where they are going to feed our podcast out to whoever platform wants to get it from. So large majority of people are on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and so that's where we're going to be our primary focus is on there. But I am going to take the time to try to publish and at least ax, um, put our feed onto as many of the little littler <laughs> platforms out there so that people can, can digest and have access to this in as many ways as possible. Now, we will be publishing updates on Instagram. And for those of you that don't have Instagram, um, there's also a Facebook page. And you can find both of them at Reptile uh, Reptile Room Podcast. So just at Reptile Room Podcast. Uh, and everything's going to have links to it. So uh, we're also going to have show notes that are going to have links in, built into them. And try to make it easy for you to be able to find all of the information and all the different episodes that you need. So other than that, that's pretty much all I wanted to, to touch on. We... One of the things I wanted to actually ask you, Riley, earlier, but I didn't get a chance to ask you yet, uh, was I wanted, like, I want to make sure that when we're when we're putting in this time to communicate out to the reptile hobby and to the community, that we're touching on what it is that they want to actually listen to or li and hear, and that of course, you know, so there's plus I want them to engage. I want them to be a part of this little podcast community too, because I think that's what makes it fun for us to take time away from, you know, family or time away from whatever we're doing to be able to do this for, to connect with the community. And it's, it's another way to connect with the reptile community. Ultimately, that's what we're doing. So I, I want a way for people to do a real quick, like, Hey, I want you guys to talk about this. And so my thought is to create a, a Google form that's going to be very easy. That's going to be a link that we can put basically on everywhere, um, like the website on Instagram or wherever on a Facebook page where you can just do it real quick. Like if something comes to mind to say, Hey, I want you guys to talk about Rosie Boas and you can put your name and your email in there and plus your topic of choice. And then that helps us start building basically a database of topics that we can start building on and start researching and start planning for so that we're not ever in a, in this lull of topics, so to speak. Do you know what I mean, Riley? I think it's a perfect idea. I love it. I think awesome. it's great. I, I thought about that like two hours before we were going to get onto this. And then I forgot to message you like, Hey, what do you think about doing a forum? Um, no, I think it's perfect. So I like doing stuff like that, like the website stuff and the, you know, um, all of this audio yeah. editing, all this yeah. technology stuff. I, I, I geek out on that. That's something else I, I really enjoy doing and databases and building stuff like this is fun to me. All right. Well, how about this? Here's our, here's our promise to the listeners by the, the, the day this episode airs. We will have a publicly accessible Google Doc or form of some fashion that everyone can access at any time. If you find the link, 
uh, we will likely have it posted on the description on the Instagram page or on the Facebook page or on the website or have a direct link through the website, something like that. And, uh, and what you can do is by the time this episode airs and you're listening to this, there will be an accessible link where you can submit your show topic suggestions or guest suggestions within reason, of course, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll do what we can, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, by the people for the people, right? Yes, absolutely. So, that's, uh, that's a great idea. I'm a huge fan for sure. So, um, so yeah, people can find us, the podcast, the reptile room podcast on Instagram at reptile room podcast, uh, you can find us on Reptile Room Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can send us any uh, inquiries, email requests, anything like that for the time being at reptileroompodcast at gmail.com. And uh, where can uh, where can people find you, Andy? Like if people wanted to uh, find your accounts, your, your, everything that you do uh, outside of the podcast. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ben. Um, so you can find me on Facebook at Area Reptiles, uh, and then at the same on Instagram, just A R E A Reptiles uh, on Instagram, and and yeah, join me. I, I'd I'd love to to follow and chit chat. I I really enjoy Instagram quite a bit. I I need to get on there a little more often. I um my one hundred percent focus in life is my wife and my kids um, first and foremost, and so if I don't get back to you right away, it's nothing personal at all. It's just that you're just not as important as them. That's all. Um, <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's just the bottom line, and and that's okay. And they, I I w- I would never expect somebody else to treat me with more time um, and energy that you know no, for their family. I yes. Do. Well, yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah, for sure. But um, anyway, also, I just remember reptileroompodcast.com is going to be the website that's going to be the dedicated website for everything regarding the players. You will be able to listen to the show directly from the website. Now, at at this time right now, before just in case the website's not quite done yet. We do have an already dedicated website right now. It's called Reptile Room Podcast dot simplecast.com and that is a link that is accessible through the instagram and facebook page uh, but my goal is to have everything migrated over to the dedicated website reptile room podcast.com so it'll be we'll have contact form there the the episode topic suggestion form will be on there the the web player you'll be able to stream so if you're sitting at your desk at work and you want to, you don't really care about the data entry you're doing and you want to listen to to a couple of reptile geeks goofing off, um, you'll be able to listen directly through the website, you know, without having to bring out your phone, without your boss wondering what you're doing. Um, so we'll have make sure that we try to make it as seamless as possible for everybody listening, whether it's on mobile or on desktop. So, all right. Perfect, man. That's, uh, I like it. I like the uh, I like the website domain. We're we're on it. All right, for me, uh, you can find me at Riley's Reptiles on uh, Instagram, Riley's underscore Reptiles on Facebook under uh, Riley's Reptiles. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's 
Oh yeah, I do that. That's right. <laughs> uh, YouTube, you can find me just under my name, Riley Jimison. I always forget about that. Lately, I've just been doing the live streams, but as uh, we've been talking about, we're transitioning to this. So the content frequency will probably drop down, but what it will do is it'll force me to probably make uh, pre-thought out, produced, edited videos. So we'll see what happens, see if I can keep that up with everything else going on. But for now, uh, from both of us, thank you for uh, joining us on the very first episode of the Reptile Room Podcast. Muchas first gracias. Of, yeah, first of many, many, many more to come for years and years. Hopefully, hopefully we can keep this up, keep the energy going, keep it fun and interesting for you. And uh, with that, we will see you in two weeks from this episode from the time you're listening to it about two weeks we promise all right have a good night everyone everyone who's listening cheers Thank cheers you. guys take care